0: this is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to the FEI Weekly Podcast. Emotional intelligence may not be a new concept, but that doesn't mean it's exempt from lots of misconceptions. In this episode of Power Skills, executive and board coach at Point Road Group, Amy Long, shares her tips for developing emotional intelligence, improving our self-awareness, and her favorite resources for these necessary leadership skills. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Olivia. Nice to be here and talking to you. Tell me a little bit about your background. Sure.
1: I have spent my entire career in professional services where people are the product. Um, I've tried it out in many of its formats. I was a lawyer, a consultant, a recruiter, and now a coach. I started in a big global law firm, but I never really found a great fit as a lawyer. Uh, What I did really enjoy was the client and team engagement, uh, working together to help solve problems, all of that. I had really good early career exposure to corporate boards and governance issues, helping Silicon Valley startups and the like. 90s. I took that experience and moved into consulting around governance and boards, which then segued me into boards and executive recruiting, uh, which I then expanded into executive and board coaching with Point Road Group. In general, I'm fascinated by people in the context of career and really enjoy helping find ideal fits for others, whether that's companies that need a new leader or director or executives who are exploring next steps in their careers. Um, And again, with Point Road Group, I'm a coach where we work to support executives looking for a job or a board seat through strategic personal branding.
0: It's a bit of matchmaking. It's, you know, chemistry between people and understanding the organization's culture. So many things involved, I'm sure.
1: A a lot. But the core of it is all people. It it all comes down to people.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. And so today we're going to talk about emotional intelligence, which might be a new concept for some people listening and and might not be. Um, for those who don't quite understand what the concept is, can you tell us a little bit about what we mean when we say emotional intelligence? We're going to use the expression about a million times in this conversation, I think. Um, (laughs) So what do we mean when we say emotional intelligence, kind of the history of the terminology? And for me, emotional intelligence is sort of the cornerstone and almost like a
1: guiding light in in what I do at this point. As a coach, it's frequently what executives identify as wanting to work on. And as a recruiter, it's frequently what I'm looking for in candidates uh, for roles that I'm out to search for. So the concept in general, if you flip the words, is bringing intelligence to emotion. Uh, so what that kind of at a really high level is, is recognizing our feelings and those of others, managing our emotions well uh, in our own and in our relationships with others, and then motivating ourselves. Uh, kind of on a history level, the uh, Daniel Goleman, I'm a huge fan, um, he's a psychologist and author who's well known for his work around emotional intelligence, and he coined kind of five key components of emotional intelligence that each have sub-competencies. So at a high level, the components are self-awareness, self-regulation, motivating yourself, empathy, and social skills, broadly. So if you break those down a little bit, self-awareness, the first one, as sort of your awareness of your emotions as they happen. So. Understanding yourself, being aware of, of of those emotions as as they occur, both from a, um, as they occur within you and the effect they're having on others, being able to assess that, knowing your own strengths and limits, being reflective, being open to feedback, those all factor into this, as well as your own self-confidence. That all sort of buckets together as self-awareness. Self regulation is the managing of emotions. So it's control, your own self control, keeping that disruptive impulses and emotions in check, staying composed, being. Um, strong under pressure, thinking clearly. Your your trustworthiness is part of that. Um, your conscientiousness is part of that. Holding yourself accountable, being on time, organized, even simple things like that. Your adaptability, your flexibility, um, especially when it comes to change and sort of the innovation side of it, of being uh, comfortable with new ideas and approaches. That's all part of your self regulation component. As far as motivating yourself, pretty straightforward. Your achievement drives, driving to to hit your goals, to improve, meet standards of excellence, your commitment to doing that, um, especially in the context of group as, again, as it affects others, um, aligning with a group, things like that, and working to achieve goals as a group, uh, your initiative, and your optimism. So pursuing things despite setbacks and sort of operating from a place of hope rather than of fear, fear of failure. That's all part of the motivating part. Empathy, that's probably the biggest part that people think of when they think of emotional intelligence, that being aware of others feelings and needs and concerns and having that actual understanding of something's bigger than you. Um, But it also includes developing others, um, again, in like a career context, um, acknowledging people's strengths, mentoring, that sort of thing, Uh, having a service orientation, um, understanding if you have customers, their needs, their perspectives, um, leveraging diversity in that context as well, cultivating opportunities through different types of people um, in your social awareness, just around sort of internal group politics things like that accurately reading a group's power relationships all of that balance that's part of empathy and then the broad bucket of social skills that go into all of this you know your ability to be influential communication is probably the biggest one in that being an active listener being receptive you know being being present in conversations rather than always thinking ahead to the next thing conflict management your leadership that comes up a lot in the context of emotional intelligence generally. Being a change catalyst, building bonds with others, and net strong networks, co- and being collaborative—obviously—is a component of that, and general team work and team capability. So, those five concepts, with all those sub uh, competencies within them, are what Daniel Goleman laid out, and I think they're they're a really good roadmap for what emotional intelligence is and the complexity of it. It's not a particularly one word summary kind of concept.
0: I'm glad you said that about empathy, because that is definitely the word that has always jumped out at me when I think of um, emotional intelligence. But it's, it's great to hear that full um, picture of what it really means. And it's funny, I'm, have a four-year-old son in preschool. (laughs) And I'm thinking about how they're already laying the groundwork for so many of the things that you mentioned. Oh, completely. Um, Yeah. And we're (laughs) struggling with many of them, as I'm sure you can imagine, four years old. I wanted to ask you, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how the different generations in the workplace Might struggle with some of these things and excel in others. Do you notice differences when you are coaching and and just even um, interacting with leaders and early career folks? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think if I were just generalizing. I think, kind of going back to your four-year-old, mm. kids are getting this in school now in a way that older generations didn't have it. All the sort of great social-emotional learning that happens from kindergarten on in school, I mean, it's a big part of middle school, right, of let's all get along, let's learn to be, tap into, you know, your self-awareness, your social awareness, relationship skills, that schools are really emphasizing that now in a much more um, outward way than they used to. So. Students, early career people, um, people who are still on the, uh, you know, in their 20s, maybe starting out in career have certainly had a lot more opportunity to explore that more openly while they were young through any school environment than those of us who are a little older than that and had none of that in the 70s, 80s, maybe when we were going through school. <laughs> um, so I think there's there's definitely opportunity there uh, for younger people to be much more aware, to have more vocabulary around it, to um, bring that to the workforce, then it just requires the emotional intelligence of the leaders <laughs> who might be a little older to be self-aware of where they're strong in this, where they are naturally have learned it over time, um, and it's become part of them. And those who maybe aren't and who can learn from the younger people. Because as we'll get into, I'm sure, as we keep going, emotional intelligence is definitely a learned concept. It is not something you are born with and you it is fixed more like IQ might be a little bit more of that, where it's a little more fixed and there's not a lot you can do necessarily to expand it. This is a concept that in its best best way you are
0: constantly learning it and you have every opportunity to improve it throughout your life. That's a great point. So speaking of that, tell me some other misconceptions about emotional intelligence. One being obviously that it's just about empathy. Uh, obviously it's much more complicated than that.
1: Yeah. And I think even it gets even more oversimplified than just being about empathy when mm-hmm. people say it's just can be simplified to being nice <laughs> that, you know, it's a, emotional. If you're emotionally intelligent, you're just a nice person. I would say there's definitely emotionally intelligent people tend to be nice, uh, but it's a vast oversimplification. I mean, just trying to, you know, come up with a simple definition of it. You know, you have your your components and your competencies and all that. It's way more nuanced than that. In fact, being too nice would be emotionally unintelligent, right? If you're a manager giving someone feedback or if you're in the midst of some sort of conflict management or negotiation, there's a need for assertiveness, of emphatic assertiveness. You've got to be very aware of how you're delivering your messages and how that's going to affect the other side in a negotiation or the person who you're giving feedback to. But you have to be assertive to get your point across, and that's not necessarily the time to just be super nice, right? So nice is a vast oversimplification, as is that it's just about empathy. I think another one is that, we, as we started to touch on, that it can't be learned. I think that is a misconception that you either have it or you don't have it. But as I started to say, I mean, emotional intelligence is something you learn throughout life. If you are self-aware, which I actually think is the key component when I when I look at these, it's empathy is a big part of it. But self-awareness is the part that without that, the rest really can't flow. So as long as you're self-aware and have some concept that you should be thinking about how you're interacting with others and how you might improve yourself over time, you're working on your emotional intelligence throughout your life, throughout your career. An examples would be if you work for someone you really respect, um, who's an effective leader, who stays calm under pressure, who's a great listener. You know any of the kind of buckets of the components of this. And if you like that style, you tend to emulate it going forward, and you try and use the things you saw someone else use in in the next situation that's similar. And the opposite's also true. When you encounter someone who's really difficult who's self centered, who's really bad at reading the room, who's prone to anger, you know, any of the things that would take you off the emotionally intelligent scale, you tend to watch if you are self aware, you tend to watch and listen and learn from that and take that as a things I won't do in the future. So it's all very learned behavior. um, And it's something that I think no matter what age you are, hopefully, you know, continuing down that path and learning from all of the experience you have in life. Mm-hmm. The one is that if you're too, if you are emotional, you don't have emotional intelligence. I hear that one frequently that I need to suppress all my emotions at work, you know, especially in the context of career, right? That mm. it's not good to show any emotion. And that's totally a misread of the concept. Having emotional intelligence doesn't mean you don't show emotion. You shouldn't suppress it. And you definitely shouldn't. You're going to feel it what it means is you understand it and you can express your emotions appropriately and effectively for the situations and your emotions are you know we're human our emotions swing widely throughout any given day any experience it's not about when the emotions are when we have them and what they are it's about how long they last and how we manage that so i think you know that's another one that i see a lot of and then the last as i was thinking about this is that relationship to IQ. I've heard it both ways that um, emotional intelligence is more important than IQ or IQ is more important than emotional intelligence. I think in terms of career and progression, you ideally have both, right? You want to obviously be good at what you do um, from uh you know schooling and from a technical skills and those sort of things, what you've learned. But the correlation that's there is probably the most accurate that as the higher you go up in a corporate typical corporate environment, the more emotional intelligence matters. We all know that the one with the highest IQ isn't always at the top. Um, that's only one factor in career success. It, it does, your success as a overall success in career doesn't always correlate to being having gone to the best schools or gotten the highest degrees or having perfect test scores. At some you know early stage point of life, we've all seen examples of people who are extremely successful and don't have all that sort of Ivy League pedigree kind of stuff. What you do see is the people who the higher up they go if they're truly successful, they tend to be pretty self-aware, they tend to have a lot of empathy and have all these social skills. An example kind of in the finance context would be that CFO. That classic sort of CFO who's technically really competent and known for their expertise in finance, but they're lacking some people skills, they play favorites, they might freeze out other people. And if you point out something's wrong in their approach, they shift the blame or think you are the problem. So sort of that deflection, they're probably not trying to be a jerk in that context. They just aren't particularly self-aware. So that lack of that affects their ability to do all aspects of their job well. Again, not that they're not technically great at what they do, but are they really, truly kind of living up to that full potential if they're not aware of how their interactions are affecting others?
0: And it makes sense for people in those finance roles. Not only do you want to have the emotional intelligence so that you can be well-liked, well-respected, but you also need to, if you have a particularly technical job, you need to be able to communicate things, right, to non-finance folks and um, communicate it in a way that makes sense, that is going to make people listen to you. Uh, So I would think that some emotional intelligence is involved there, right? Right. Yeah, definitely.
1: And if it's it, and you know, in your typical finance path, you're learning all the really highly technical stuff along the way, right? You're getting good at all of that in order to get the job you want. And then on the job, you're learning new technical skills to get the next one you want along that path. It's the emotional intelligence side of it. You're not learning that from books, right? You're learning that from all those interactions with the people you have and observing that great boss that you had who was really strong in it. Or again, like I said before, the opposite. Yeah. So it's definitely things you're learning as you go. And there's always room to be observant, uh, listen and learn from all of those experiences.
0: So you mentioned that perhaps early career folks might, you know, have been exposed to this concept earlier, you know, at school or from their parents, perhaps. But why is it important for them to, you know, even students, let's say, who are listening, why should they be thinking about this concept? Should they be thinking about this concept? What can they do to start on their emotional intelligence journey as it relates to their career journey? I think at
1: a really high level, people with higher emotional intelligence tend to be happier long-term with their careers. A lot of emotional intelligence to me is about balance, right? You're you're not necessarily gonna master every concept and all those ones I laid out at the beginning. It's it's finding balance with as many of them as you can, right? So if you can find that balance of being, for example, the pressure, pressure of career is gonna ramp up as you go for most people. It, it, being able to balance the pressure of career with your life outside of work, you have a higher odds of enjoying your job if you have perspective and understand how to juggle everything? So that is a component of all of this. I also think, sort of putting on my recruiter hat for a second, if equally skilled, hiring almost always favors the one with the higher emotional intelligence. Uh, The classic example there is like your engineer or someone in IT who's really smart, knows the subject area really well, has been highly trained in it, and has you know lots of knowledge to share, but maybe lacks some of the people skills, either whether it's they don't want to interact with others or they just aren't particularly good at it. And when you interview for a job, early career all the way through, you're being vetted On your technical skills, no question, somebody is making sure you have all the technical competencies that are required for that job. They're also looking at you from this, whether they're saying it directly or not, from an emotionally intelligent perspective. They're trying to vet, are you going to fit in the team? Are you going to be a good employee for the company? Any of those questions that talk about how did you overcome a problem or a challenge at work? How do you how do you fit as a team player? What's the typical role you take on in the team? How you take initiative? You know, how good you are at time management, all of that is getting at how effective are you at emotional intelligence? and it is a big component so anyone who you know ignores that it can be to your own peril not to say that there aren't jobs where nobody's going to care about that but in large part employers do and certainly as you work your way up throughout your career it becomes more and more important and you're being observed on it every day at work right whether whether anyone's recording it putting it into your performance reviews or you know all the different things that happen throughout the average career cycle If someone above you has emotional intelligence, they're noticing your mastery of it or your lack of. It's being noted in some capacity.
0: You talked about pressure. I think that's a big reason why senior level people should continue to focus on their emotional intelligence. How do people really master this skill? Let's say senior level people, what can they do to improve their emotional intelligence?
1: I think being open and aware is a big part of it. Asking for feedback from your, the people who work for you and not people are good about asking their bosses for that. Um, and especially in the context of that annual review kind of concept, that, that's a pretty well ingrained part of it of, you know, asking for feedback there, but also talking to your peers and your, you know, someone, if you're in a management position, anyone who reports to you and saying, what am I doing well as a boss? What am I not doing well? what do you need from me? Because I think indicators that people need to improve their intelligence, rigidity is one of them. Someone who's unable to adapt, who doesn't respond to that feedback, especially or doesn't even seek it, <laughs> would be another one if they can't listen or learn or they're, or they're just, they adhere to such a strict set of rules and they don't know how to pull back from them in a kind of practical way to get things done. Those are signs probably that you might need to work on it. And then support social relationships is another one. Like as you go through a career, I think being aware of how you're interacting with others and if you're able to draw out all the wonderful things out of people who work for you, that tends to signal you're pretty good at this, right? That you have a high functioning team who gets to the goals and everybody's feeling heard and everybody's you know responding really well and likes to come to work, right? If you're that leader... If that's the culture you you are helping cultivate, that's great. If you're on that team and you're looking at the team and it's there, that's recognizing that this is a team that is functioning at a high level of emotional intelligence. But when those re- individual relationship parts start to fall apart, if you're alienating someone from being too insensitive to their needs, or if you're too demanding or too critical, or even people who are very introverted, if you're introverted A lot of people are. I mean, a lot of us are a mix of of being introverted and extroverted, and it turns on and off depending on situations. That's completely normal. If you're introverted to the point where you avoid other people in the context of a traditional corporate career, that's going to be rough. That's going to be something you want to work on to, again, make that job something that is both enjoyable and productive for you, because that, again, for long term happiness with career and satisfaction with career, all that's going to matter, I think a source of some of the problem of this in the context of the corporate world is that going back to those people who are really good technically at what they do, sometimes companies promote those people without thinking about are they actually good at managing people so as you you know the traditional career path would be to you know if you're really good at something okay you started as an individual contributor you move up to being a manager of of a small team and then that team size just grows if you don't if you're not naturally good at the managing of people the promotion doesn't make a whole lot of sense without some training or some development to help a person master those skills you know in the same way that they were given time to master the technical components of the job they're really strong in accounting and they know all the accounting rules and they can you know they're the, pers- they're the go-to person who everyone comes to when there's a sticky accounting concept that they need help with, very valuable to the company. But should that person be promoted, maybe, but maybe that promotion needs to come with training or come with a coach or come with something um, that helps that person stay self-aware and really work on all these components that someday could make them that great manager that they haven't yet had that training in. I think it's a disservice to employees sometimes to promote without giving them that package it, even for people who naturally look like they're fairly decent at it, I think companies in general could do a better job of uh, coaching up their people on all these concepts. It would make for certainly for a much happier workplace for most people.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I had a conversation. I used to do a podcast called Balance Sheet, and I remember speaking to a career coach and she brought up the same exact thing that, you know, when we when we get promoted because we are technically accomplishing things at our, in our current role and we move up we tend to then have people under us all of a sudden yeah. we have a team we have at least one person who reports to us and it's funny that you know the corporate ladder kind of works that way because most people really have no business (laughs) managing. I mean, it's a very hard, it's a very complicated thing to do. And as you said, emotional intelligence is not just being nice. So just because you're nice doesn't mean that you have any business, you know, managing others. I totally agree. And that kind of leads me to another question about early career folks is if they feel that they want to work on this, which it sounds like all of us do need to work on it to some degree should we ask for a coach should we ask for specific training
1: it's no it's a great question because I think it's something that early career people would be really smart to be thinking about uh, because there are opportunities and more and more the Big companies are getting better at this because uh, they have the capacity. They have the budget, right? To have co- internal coaches. They have the budget to do lots of trainings that uh, those trainings can get quite pricey if you're bringing in outside resources to talk to employees about it. So to the extent it's made available to you, definitely take advantage of it. It requires being a little uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to be a little vulnerable. You have to admit to not being perfect, right? which is a struggle for a lot of people but it's all in term if you think of it all in terms of growth it that's really what this is about right i'm of the opinion personally that if you're not putting yourself in at least mildly uncomfortable situations like in this context like this um you're not growing right that's that's where all that kind of good growth comes from is being a little vulnerable putting yourself out there a little bit and saying i might not be the best public speaker but i'm not going to get better unless i try <laughs> so practicing it and realizing that You know, it will get better over time. Anything, anything in this sort of emotional intelligence world, I think, is is just practice, practice, practice. It's the key to mastering any of it or at least getting as close as possible to mastering of It's just putting yourself out there and trying it and seeing what works and learning, being self-aware enough to see, Okay, I tried approaching my boss from this angle. And wow, that didn't work. Let's, okay, let's back up. Why didn't it work? Did I not read him or her correctly? Did I, you know, did was I too aggressive in my approach? Was, you know, where's the, where's the sticking point that it didn't go as well as I wanted it to go? Step back, think about it, try again, right? You've got a persistence in, you know, pursuing your goals is important in all of this.
0: And this is where I really think about mentorship and how important yes. it is for people on both ends and people of all generations to, to have multiple mentors and mentees. And because you don't have to look at your mentor as a perfect person, right? right? You can take the lessons from them, positive and negative, but all of those relationships to me seem like they could really help in this, in this area.
1: And mentors come in all shapes right. and sizes, right? There's a wide variety of, of people who can be mentors on one very specific thing in your career. It can be, you know, I really I really like the way that mentor um, networks, right? They're a really good networker. And I know I'm going to, if I'm early career, I know networking is the key to my future, right? Every yes. Everything comes from networking in life. <laughs> and so pairing up with a mentor who can help guide you through how to network, how to get better at that. And that that mentor might not be great at some other component of you know what you're trying to piece together to be your best version of yourself and your job. So having multiple mentors, because again, it, mentors have to have emotional intelligence to be good at it. Every one of us is stronger in some components of this than others. So as you seek out mentors, right? It, they don't have to be that one person who is going to guide me through every career situation that I'm going to encounter in life. It's find the ones that fit the pieces that you're looking for and you know the pieces you want to work on and that you feel you need to work on.
0: You mentioned relationships breaking down or maybe like unproductive teams. What are some of the other indicators that someone needs to improve their emotional intelligence? So like, let's say I'm I'm somebody who thinks I have great emotional intelligence. I feel like I'm empathetic i feel like i have good self awareness but perhaps i'm i'm missing some things and i don't quite know what they are what do you think those the- indicators
1: Yeah, the the big ones are the obvious things like the exploder, the person whose reactions are frequently out of proportion, the manipulator who seems like they're trying to help you but it's really all about themselves, right? There's there's big negative negative stereotypes of who would the backstabber, the interrupter, the arrogant one, you know, all those sort of things who are sort of the obvious the obvious signs. The slightly less obvious ones are someone who's always overwhelmed, you know, having that sense of I'm just constantly overwhelmed by everything in my life. That's something you can be very aesthetic, you can have really good social skills. And it really can be you're a little derailed on the, the as the commitments pile up, as the pressure piles up, that's starting to derail everything. And it's the how do I prioritize? How do I make sense out of things and keep on task for the things that are the most important and how to, you know, prioritize within all of the many things that are the pressure is driving. So it, sometimes it's subtle things like that. Micromanaging is another one that I think people don't always see themselves as doing, but it is a definite something that could be worked on in that sense. Typically, if you're micromanaging, you're doing it out of your own needs to stay in control and, you know, control of good, right? In the context of emotional intelligence, too much control can lead to being a micromanager where you're not really thinking then what is best for the person who are, who you are micromanaging. When you micromanage, you are taking away their opportunity to learn, their opportunity to develop, and you potentially then stray into the taking credit for others work kind of scenario, which, again, would obviously be something you don't want to do. But And you can, you can slide into those things without being aware you're doing it, and it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad employee, necessarily. It just makes you someone who has things you could work on. The always needing to be right would be another one that I think people, especially if you have mastered a component of career in some way, you know, back to the accountant, mm-hmm knows all the rules in and out, knows everything about it. Like there's a time to jump in and to make your knowledge of the rules known when it's going to benefit the whole group, when it's going to benefit the company, it's going to keep you out of, keep the company out of trouble, something like that. But when someone's slightly off on something and you feel the need to, well, but that's not exactly the way you should say it, or it's not exactly the rule as it's written or whatever. And you're constantly being the, but I'm, I know I'm right. And I I know what I'm saying is correct. Well, there's the social skill that goes with that too, of not being the one who necessarily has to jump in and correct minor imperfections in what somebody else, someone else is saying, like minor things in the context of career, but they factor into how others view you and how, how you're going to work, especially in sort of a team context in any, any, you know, traditional sort of corporate role.
0: Such a big component, as you said, is the self-awareness. But if you don't have self-awareness, then you don't (laughs) really know that Okay, for instance, I'm thinking about an example, like what you said, Everybody that you have to be right all the time. Right. But if you are somebody who has to be right all the time, you probably don't know that you're one of those people, right? So to me, being able to hear feedback is very important because really, how else are you going to know that you are lacking in any of these areas unless you're able to hear someone tell you so? Combined with also, we all should just be working on this. I mean, whether you think you have a perfect A plus in emotional intelligence or not, we should all be open to improving because I just don't see people without emotional intelligence understanding that they need to work on this. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. And it's definitely this, that's why I think self-awareness is the key to all of it, right? You you
1: can, you can be empathetic, but if you, if you are trying hard to be empathetic, but aren't aware that the way you're going about doing it is actually doing more damage than than good, you're that you're stuck. And I think the annual review, in, again, back in my traditional corporate world, which is what I personally understand the best mm-hmm. in all of this. So sort of in your typical corporate structure, that annual review is that chance that if you're if there's a the big if on that, if the person who's giving you that review um, is even slightly decent at all of this there's going to be feedback in there that hopefully is being delivered in a way that is kind at a minimum, right? That the nice concept comes in They're at least nice in the way they're delivering feedback, because that's the purpose of it, is to give you mm-hmm. some feedback on what, what you're doing well, and maybe things a few things to work on, is really hearing what that is that you're being asked to work on, and not getting defensive about it, and not saying, well, even if you don't really particularly like the person who's giving you the feedback, mm-hmm. that feedback typically has come from some group, not just that person. That's just the person is delivering the message who's with you in the room or on your Zoom or however it's being delivered. But really trying to listen hard to what are they trying to tell me that I need to work on in this? Mo- what am I doing? Well, always, always embrace that part. I'm not ignoring that. But on the what a, what am I, what am I need to work on just hearing even a little bit of it would be the first step towards self awareness, right? Because otherwise, companies, if, if they feel like you aren't listening, that's what leads to that kind con- that awkward conversation someday, of we feel like you're not just not a great fit for us. It's us, not you. And we think you need to move on, right? That being coached out of a job <laughs> while you have it, you know, if it, The gentle way or being fired in the less gentle way, Um, you know, that's that's the end result for a lot of people who are not self-aware. Sadly, the other flip side of that is you see it if sales, for example, is a big component of that person's job. If they are highly gifted at the technical component of the job, sometimes the lack of emotional intelligence will be ignored if they're if they're financially important enough to the company. That's where things get really messy in companies because then they tend to end up in a leadership position and they tend to be have power over others that they're not wielding very well. And everybody's miserable who's below them. People have learned that the higher ups in the company have decided to value that technical expertise or that ability to sell or whatever it is over the damage they do to teams that they're part of.
0: And that makes me think about introvert versus extrovert. So nobody should think that an introvert necessarily has better or worse emotional intelligence than an extrovert. I'm just thinking of myself I tend yeah. to be a bit outgoing and that does not necessarily equate to excellent social skills right I mean it's you know I I've really come to learn that that it's important for me to be a little bit more patient in my conversation not interrupt I tend to get sort of excited and even though i'm showing up as confident in these interactions it doesn't necessarily mean that i that i have those strong social skills and that i have emotional intelligence and i could see that being an, a misconception just like being an introvert if you're more introverted the plus side is hopefully you're you're kind of observational and you have a good you know you're a good listener so You might have actually a stronger, you know, in some ways, emotional intelligence than the extroverted person. I'm thinking out loud, but I could see a lot of characteristics getting mistaken for emotional intelligence, I think is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, and I think you hit on the exactly what sort of the typical extrovert is perceived as versus the typical introvert. Definitely, and and again, I think all of this is balance, right? It's in most people are going to be a blend of everything, right? They're they're going to have extroverted tendencies that lead them to being really outgoing and really have high energy, and sure that might lead to interrupting, or it might lead, but it's from a place of excitement and enthusiasm, that's going to be perceived differently than somebody who is an interrupter because they don't know it all. And they just, let's just cut this conversation off because we don't need to hear from you. What I have to say is more important. So it's all a blend of all of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you think about yourself again, back to our Mm self-awareness, as you think about yourself, it's saying I might have a tendency towards that. And I will try to try to regulate that behavior that I know could be perceived negatively, but I'm also gonna like sandwich it in with lots of empathy. And I'm gonna be really try to develop relationships with the people I'm on teams with and really try to understand their motivation and how they like to work. And maybe they're really introverted. So I might have to, to get the best out of them. If I'm the leader, I might have to draw out some of their super strengths and I might have to help them work a little bit on others and try to motivate them to participate more in a group setting or something like that. And I might have to keep the extrovert a little bit in check and like, okay, let's hear from everybody in the context. So everybody's voice is heard and that we draw out all of the best parts of everyone to find the best solution for whatever problem our team is tasked with solving or goal we're tasked with achieving, right? That's that's where the leader, I think, has a lot to do with how that all plays out in that context. But everybody's individual contribution. Contribution to this is it's balanced within all of this. Again, we're not all going to be perfect and all, but we can, we can all be trustworthy, right? That's something we can all work towards that. Mm. You don't, you don't have to be extroverted or introverted to be good at trustworthiness of so just being, having high integrity. It's something you see in a lot of job descriptions that we're looking for people with high integrity, right? Everyone can have that, right? Even, even the worst employee in the company in terms of their arrogance level, or in terms of their, inability to read other people can still have a really high sense of ethics and integrity and build trust with other people by taking tough stands on important issues and things like that right there are concepts in here that everybody who is a nice you know in that stereotypical nice or a good person all of those things can master some of these and sometimes maybe that's the best way to get at this is And you can, you know, ask people within a company to listen to this and point out that, look, we can all have part. We all naturally probably have a lot of this. It's just being aware of all of it and then where you fit in it. And maybe, you know, the introvert is never going to be great at the leading the group conversation and being the one who takes charge, that's okay, pair them up with someone who is and have, you know, complementing personalities, people who have complementing skills work together to achieve the goal that the group is trying to get at. Because when you come down to leadership, that's really what it's all about is Mm -hmm. trying to lead a group towards a common goal, right? So... I put a lot of this on the leaders to be the most aware because that's then where they can bring it out of their teams. Even if the company doesn't have a well-structured program for making everybody, at least giving everybody the opportunity to be aware, a good leader, even in a tiny company, can understand these concepts. You don't need a PhD to understand all this. I don't have one, certainly, and be aware of it and help others work on it. That's something every leader could do in the context of their jobs.
0: It's so true. You're not as a, as a coach, right? You're not trying to bring everybody's levels up to perfect across the board, but to have the self-awareness to know this is my strength and this is not my strength does feel extremely important. And then the other thing I'm thinking of as a coach is just each person is so different. And not only is each person different, but each person's team is so different. And so I think that was very important. What you brought up that leaders can bring certain things out of certain people and help maybe even compensate for other people. And so it's quite complicated what you do because you have to understand who people really are and then also the makeup of their teams and who those people really are. Right. And so there must be so much investigation in the beginning when you first start working with somebody. Right.
1: Oh, there's a big investment in getting to know people because it without both like as a coach, certainly I have to understand to a certain degree, I have to understand how someone thinks at what they do. But in reality, as a coach, I don't need to know all of it that deeply because as a coach, I'm just trying to draw out. Where you're, where you're stuck and what what I can do to help you get past that sticking point, which really in a lot of cases the answer is in the person who you're who is being coached. It's just a matter of like unpacking all of that to the point where they see what it is that is has them stuck and how they're going to get past that sticking point. In terms of being like the leader who is coaching their team, that's all about emotional intelligence. You know, you're put into a leadership role traditionally because you're a strategic thinker who sees a big picture, right? That's what at like that CFO level, for example, that what distinguishes you from being the person who was a good VP finance and who was really good at FP&A or was really good at, you know, one of the investor relations or some technical, more technical component of the role. The one who makes the CFO leap tends to be strategic thinking. They, they are now able to see finance in the context of the whole organization and how finance is a component and how it works into the strategy of whatever the company is, you know, with the product they're selling, the problem they're solving in the world, whatever it is, they see the big strategic picture on that front. So great. You have that strategic vision, but what you're really then doing, persuading others, getting that group of people who work for you, whether it's gigantic or small to work towards that big picture, that strategic goal and doing it effectively and working well together. So. All of that then, you know, outside of the strategic vision becomes getting everyone to buy in, getting everyone to do it. So the higher up you go, the more important that intelligence becomes. It's what's going to make you that great leader. And because you, you have to drive the emotional intelligence of the team then, to some degree. A team that has the leader with high emotional intelligence is way more likely to function well together to have that sort of group emotional intelligence because the individuals will model the leader if the leader doesn't have it that's where you get that whole messy dysfunctional team dynamic which we've all been through from you know school projects on through early career being the bottom of the rung on the ladder and you know being really frustrated with everyone above you and we've all been members of dysfunctional teams at various points and a lot of that strives from the leadership model not always completely driven completely by the leader you can have dysfunctional team members but again that's the leader's job then to get those dysfunctional team members in check and try to find that dynamic I'm not saying this is simple by any means. Um, it, it is a skill. It is something that the good ones have gotten very good at doing it, but they have to, and back to the time, they have to invest a lot of time in getting to know every member of that team and really understanding what their strengths are, understanding what their weaknesses are. Is they themselves don't need to have every component mastered, but again, they need to assemble a team of people who, ideally, if they have the full amount of control, they assemble a team of people who all their skills complement each other well, and that will work together functionally very well, and that will, you know, balance each other out in all those ways.
0: So for the more senior level people who are listening and and are contemplating joining a board or another board, I know that's an area of expertise for you. How does emotional intelligence come into play there? I mean, at that point,
1: you're assuming a certain amount of life experience has gotten you to that point where you you have the functional components that would make you a good board member. But again, a board is a team, right? So being a board member is all about being a good board member, I should say. There are plenty of examples of highly dysfunctional corporate boards out there. But the best ones, in the same ways I've just been describing teams to this point, they function together really well. They're very respectful of each other. They're empathetic to others' opinions, to others' Um, approaches that have worked in their companies, a board tends to be full of very high level executives from other companies, right, who are bringing that knowledge to uh, the companies whose board they sit on for the purpose of avoiding risk (laughs) is a huge part of it is managing risk, avoiding risk. They're the CEO's boss. That's another function of a board, right, is they're the ultimate, they're to whom the the CEO answers. They're the backstop for all of that. They're the one who gives the reviews to the as a group or a committee of gives the review to the CEO, tells the CEO what they need to work on, all that sort of stuff, what's going well, what the pressure points are, all those sorts of things. So all these same skills function factor into that. And when you are going through a recruiting process for a board or you are networking your way in, which is the more common way you would land on a board is through your own network you have to be pretty aware of who you are and whether you're going to be a good fit for them. And they have to be pretty aware of get to know you and through you, the ways you would then demonstrate who you are to them, finding that right pair, finding that nice fit where you're going to compliment what they need and they're going to get what they need out of you. And it's all, you know, makes for one big, happy kind of board of family. That's not an easy thing to do. It's what leads to lots of dysfunctional boards as they went for a skill set without paying attention to the person and whether the person was going to be a good fit for the board. But I think a lot of boards are getting a lot smarter on that, and they have to because boards have diversified, and as they very much should and should have a long time ago. And there's lots of different people at the table now in the boardroom, and which can lead to all sorts of great outcomes for boards. But recognizing, you know, the balance of people who need to be there and how they're all going to work together is a big part of that. So as people go out looking for a board seat, it again is. Let's <laughs> we'll just keep bringing it all back to self awareness. Being aware of where you're going to be a good fit and where you're not, because you'd be setting yourself up for a painful experience if you if you are put on a, or take a position on a board that where it's going to be highly dysfunctional or you're going to be a sticking point for them. That wouldn't serve anyone well.
0: And having the diversity of thought is so important on a board in a in a team, etc. And yet it also as you're saying, can mean, you know, maybe a higher incidence of people perhaps not um, seeing eye to eye and the benefits of diversity of thought, I, I would think outweigh those. But completely, it, yeah, but it makes sense that boards and teams uh, would need to continue to focus on this so that they can be productive and and also just get along with each other and and you know
1: empathy goes a long way in that right, right. just putting yourself in someone else's shoes mm-hmm. to the best you can obviously mm-hmm. no one's perfect at this being willing and wanting to, sensing others feelings and perspectives and you know listening listening really actively i think that gets underrated in a lot of contexts of really being present when someone else is speaking mm-hmm. and listening to what they're saying and un- understanding why they're trying to understand why they're saying it and the perspective from which they're approaching something, you know, really actively listening on that level would go a long way towards solving a lot of team dysfunction. And not just assuming, well, I know what they're saying, or, oh, I know better than they know, or they're wrong, you know, all the things that would lead someone to tune out in a moment, tuning in and really wanting to understand and just trying, it goes a long way in solving a lot of this. Because everyone's there for a reason, right? You were hired for that early career job because you're good at something, right? Or someone sees some potential in you at least, right? And they're willing to help develop you. So- Someone and when you're put on a board, the same thing, someone thinks that that all that career experience you've had over however many decades you've been in your career at this point, you know, all that experience is really valuable to whatever they're trying to accomplish. I mean, from the beginning to the stereotypically, the board is on the later end of the career, Mm -hmm. you know, being brought into that conversation, brought into that situation because there's something there that they're excited about. So owning that right understanding like that I'm wanted I am needed I'm all of that but now it's on me to make this the best situation for not just myself but for whatever the higher goal is that you're working towards
0: yes you mentioned the Daniel Goldman book any other resources that you recommend to really people at any stage of their career books or podcasts or anything like that that can help people continue to develop their emotional intelligence
1: I am a big fan of the Harvard Business Review. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's both an online and a you know, print. They still print a magazine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they cover a really wide variety of career topics that I've followed and have subscribed to them for years. And they podcast. They have every format that w- would appeal to anybody, whichever way you'd like to receive information. Um, and it's in short verse, right? It's not the commitment of reading a full book if that's too much for your personal, you know, time frame right now. It's like they're really good at giving you nuggets that then link to other things, right? Go read this book. Go, you know. And they're the author, people who author the articles are tend to be experts in whatever field they're in. And emotional intelligence, you'll see, brought up on the big picture there sometimes, but frequently it's the components of, right? So if, once you're aware of sort of what are all these components of emotional intelligence, you'll see that they. Um, HBR and other lots of places hit on one or two concepts of it all the time, right? Empathy obviously being a big one, but cheat your achievement drive, you know, any of these, they'll hit on all of those frequently. So you'll get it in little bursts. Another person I'm really into, I'm probably a groupie of at this point, is Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist and a professor. He has a podcast that's great. Um, And he comes at EI from a slightly different angle, but he gets at many of the same topics. Um, EI isn't necessarily, emotional intelligence isn't necessarily like his thing per se. He's more about like the whole organization and the people within the organization and all that. But he's fun. Um, I find his approach really interesting and uh, easy to listen to in the context of podcasts
0: this was so fun um, and very informative. I I had a feeling we'd say emotional intelligence a lot. And I think we ended up saying self-awareness more, but it's a battle. <laughs> the... <laughs> a battle between the two terms. And I love that also that you I don't want to accuse you of boiling it down, but I the word trustworthiness is really standing out to me. I'm I'm really thinking about how that trustworthiness kind of does encapsulate the, the concepts that we're talking about. And if someone were to describe you that way, I, I would think that you are, uh, doing pretty well on your emotional intelligence journey. And, uh, again, we're all on a journey, so I don't think any one of us is, a uh, you know has perfect a perfect score in emotional intelligence so i would actually
1: say if anyone thinks they have a perfect score they're probably not as emotionally intelligent as they right. that's
0: a big red flag so amy thank you so much for doing this with me i had a lot of fun i learned a lot and i just really appreciate your time
1: it was a pleasure